Father, we are uh, so thankful uh, this morning for so many different reasons. First of all, we want to thank you that we have hope. Lord, there's a lot in this world that is sad, that is discouraging, that is confusing. But Lord, you have revealed your great plan for the universe to us, and we uh, realize that your plan is to reverse the curse and to glorify Jesus and to establish a, a new heavens and a new earth where everything works the way it should. And God, that we're, we're just amazed that we're going to be part of that, and we're going to be part of that because of Christ and the work that you have done through Christ and the Spirit of God opening up our eyes and causing us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so, Lord, we want to praise you uh, that you have chosen us to be Christians and to be part of your church, to be your special people. And we want to ask this morning that you would meet with us, change us, grow us, mature us, and enable us to uh, serve you more faithfully as a result of our time together. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Sure. All right. Well, uh, this is uh, Quipping Hour. Thank you so much for coming to uh, Quipping Hour. And I hope you hear uh, a Quipping Hour. Uh, I'm trying to put an emphasis every week on the fact that this is an equipping class. And uh, that is because we don't uh, simply want to inform you. Instead, we want to uh, equip you for the work of the ministry. And uh, you know, of course, that comes from Ephesians chapter 4. It's uh, part of our responsibility as leaders to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And I hope you are hearing uh, me say equip, 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 equip because it helps you understand the outcome that we're wanting to achieve as a result of this class. So um, what are we trying to do? And that's important because whenever you're trying to do something, you want to know why are you doing it. Uh, So what are we hoping to achieve during our time together? Why are you coming to these classes? What do we want to see happen? And uh, what we want to see happen is that you'll be equipped. And how do you know if someone's equipped? If this is an equipping class and we want to evaluate later whether it accomplished what we wanted it to accomplish, how can we tell if someone is actually equipped? What question do we ask? I think this is important because it's easy to settle. You know someone's equipped when they are able to do what they have been trained to do. So if I say I want to equip you to teach a class, how would I know you're equipped? you are able to teach a class. So just to bold print that, what might be the difference between the way you would evaluate whether or not someone has learned the information that you wanted them to learn or whether or not they are equipped? So if it's learning, you probably would be happy if uh, they could repeat back what you said. So you might give them a test and then they like, get true and false and they answer the test correctly. Uh, but if, if, if you want to see whether someone's equipped, you can't really just give them a test because you're actually looking for more than just information. What you're going to have to evaluate uh, if, if you're going to see if they're equipped is whether they're able to do what you train them to do. You're going to have to watch them. And so 
Obviously, I know they're connected, learning information and being equipped. Uh, if someone wants to teach you to fix an engine, they, they would have to teach you information about engines. But at the same time, we all know there's a difference between um, memorizing the parts of an engine and being able to fix an engine. I remember uh, in Africa, one of my friends was telling me about a place where they were teaching computers with pictures of computers and pictures of keyboards. And I was thinking, ah, this, they're probably not going to be the top IT guys if uh, all they're able to do is uh, look at a picture of a computer. Because there's something more to equipping than just memorizing information. And uh, honestly, I think it's harder to equip than just to uh, dispense information. And yet it is vital because we're not just trying to learn how to fix an engine as a church. Uh, as Christians, we have been entrusted with literally the most important message in the history of the world. Uh, we have been entrusted with the most important responsibility in this world. We are representatives of Jesus Christ, and uh, we have been given this great privilege to proclaim his gospel and to help people follow him. And so we need to know how to do that. We need to know how, uh, not just that we're supposed to make disciples, we need to be equipped to make disciples. And of course, in this class, that's what we're trying to do. And uh, we're trying to do that, one, by reading this book, Loving Messy People, and talking a little bit together. And then uh, later on, we're going to be putting a special opportunity in place, hopefully towards the beginning of the next year, that we're calling T-Cells, where we're going to give you the opportunity to practice what you're learning. And so there are going to be groups of three to four people, and these are going to be groups that you sign up for, where you meet for about 20 times over the course of a year for the purpose of discipling one another, uh, basically. And I, like, I, like I said, we're hoping to start those T-cells next year, which is why we're having these classes, uh, because really you're only going to be able to lead a T-cell if you're equipped to do that. And that's what we're trying to do together uh, these Sunday mornings. And so we began a couple weeks ago by trying to give you some motivation for doing that. You remember we talked about the importance of spiritual growth. It's normal for Christians to grow. It's not normal for Christians not to grow. If Christians are not growing, you have to be asking something about whether or not they're Christians, Christians grow. And then we talked about uh, the importance of friendships in the process of spiritual growth. God has given us several different ways to grow spiritually. If someone's not listening to the word of God, you would say, I doubt they're going to grow. If someone's not part of a biblical local church, you'd say, I doubt they're going to grow. And if someone doesn't have biblical friends, you could say, I'm, I, would, I would be surprised if they're going to grow or they're going to have a hard time growing without biblical friends because this is one of the means that God has given for spiritual growth. We need biblical friendships to grow spiritually. And so how do we develop those kinds of friendships? That's the question now. Uh, where do we start? And we said step number one was to build a relationship. In other words, and I know this seems obvious, but if we're going to have uh, biblical friendships, we need to get to know the other person. If we're going to be a biblical friend, we need to get to know the other person, which is almost, it sounds so obvious that you would think you wouldn't have to say it, but it's actually pretty rare. So if you think about your own life, how many people do you know and how many people know you? 
Paul Tripp puts it like this. He says, I want you to consider two questions. First of all, how many people do you know? And second of all, how many people know you? If I were to scroll through the contacts on my phone or search through my Facebook friends or look at the people I follow on Twitter, I could come up with a fairly long list of people I know. I could tell you where they lived, what they did for work, who they were married to, what their kids were doing, and even a few personal preferences or hobbies. The opposite would also be true. There's a fairly long list of people who would know where I live, what I do, who my wife and kids are, and a few things that I enjoy in my free time. But here's the real question. How many people do I actually know, and how many people really know me? Because obviously there's a difference between knowing external information about someone and knowing them. I'm afraid that, he says, in the body of Christ, we settle for terminally casual relationships all the time. Sure, we've acquired some superficial data on people we call friends, but we don't actually know them. We participate in weekly or monthly church fellowship, but there's actually very little fellowship going on. We've become masters at casual conversations and non-answers. We've honed our skills at deflecting questions and staying hidden. Ignore your long list of contacts, Facebook friends, and Twitter followers. How many people actually know you, and how many people do you actually know? And I actually, I think that's, it's only getting worse, really, when it comes to that, Be, partly because like hospitality has died in America. I read a, uh, a blog this week where someone was writing a, a sort of like an obituary for hospitality and just saying, uh, it seems like hardly anybody ever has anybody in their homes anymore. Um, and so we don't, we're so rushed, we often don't have real time for getting to know one another. Here are a few questions that get past the public persona. How many people know the specific places where you're susceptible to temptation? How many people know the responsibilities that tend to overwhelm you? How many people know the idols that war on the turf of your heart? How many people know the secrets of your past that still haunt you? How many people know the places where you try to find substitute identities? How many people know the reasons why you might doubt the goodness and power of God? And some of us might be saying, I don't want anybody to know that. And that's part of the problem. <laughs> biblical friendships, to have biblical friendships, we need to, to know each other. Of course, the opposite would be true. How many of those questions could you answer about someone you call a friend? You see, your life was meant to be a community project. You were never meant to live in isolation. You simply weren't meant to do life on your own. And yet, unfortunately, sometimes we do. We do life on our own, and we kind of like it, um, which is why we're putting uh, the emphasis on biblical friendships, because this is part of God's design for helping you actually change, for helping you actually change. The goal of life is not to stay the same that you were when you were five. The goal of life is to mature and mature and become more and more like Christ, and one of the ways God does that is through uh, friendships where we really know each other. When we talk about discipleship, then uh, we're saying we want to work on getting to know the person we, we want to disciple. So what's step number one in T-cells? If you're starting a T-cell, you're saying, how can I get to know uh, this person? Well, the real person. Not just for the sake of knowing each other, though that's good. That would be a start. But instead, because we realize if we want to help someone, if we're going to help each other, it helps to know each other. As Scott Mel explains, he says, patiently knowing is a prerequisite to any word or action. 
There is no way you can minister effectively to someone without first knowing and understanding them deeply. We've all been the recipients of service and speech without knowledge, and it's discouraging at best and hurtful at worst. In order to lovingly minister to someone, we must first listen and seek to understand who they are and what they're experiencing so that we can wisely determine what is most needed in any given moment. And maybe he's overstating it just a little bit when he says there is no way you can minister effectively without first knowing. I probably wouldn't say it that strongly because we have the Holy Spirit and because the gospel has power and because there are different means of growth in our lives. Uh, so you can listen to a podcast and that person doesn't know you and he can still minister to you because it's God ministering through him. But at the same time, clearly, if I have the opportunity to minister to someone specifically, Seeking to know them well is only going to help me minister more effectively to them. In terms of a Bible verse that emphasizes that, Proverbs 18.13 is a good example. Proverbs 18.13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. You wouldn't um, really want to go to a doctor that before you walked into the room, he's like, antibiotics! <laughs> um, you would think, this guy, this is a little bit foolish. If I try to help you without knowing you, that can be a little like answering a matter before I hear it, and it's foolish. I was thinking of Jesus in the Gospels as another example, how often the Gospels will say something like, knowing what they were reasoning in their hearts, he said to them. And so he's responding. He's actually responding to what's going on in their hearts. And that's what we want to be able to do as we seek to get to know the other person. When we're counseling or discipling, it's like we're doing a heart operation. And I, I just think it's always better to do heart operations with your eyes open. That's building a relationship. You're trying to open your eyes to what is actually going on in their hearts. And so it should be obvious, really, I think I shouldn't have to make a big long argument that if we're called to help someone individually, we need to know and to hear before we speak into their lives. But I do have to make a big, long ar argument because it is not always obvious. I'm telling you, it is not always obvious, even to super smart people. Sometimes it feels like especially to people who think they're super smart. Guys you would think would know better. I, I, I can't tell you how often I have seen guys you would think would know better fail right here. And at working on understanding, at building a relationship with the people they're seeking to influence. For a number of different reasons, probably. Um, and if we had time, I would ask you, what do you think might be some reasons that uh, working at patiently knowing someone in order to build a helping relationship with them might not be as obvious as it seems? But I'll just give you a couple um, because I only have 30 minutes here. One uh, reason is I think there's a cultural issue going on here. So we're all humans, so this is a problem worldwide of answering a matter before you hear it. But I think it's especially a problem for us as Americans because we are in a hurry and because for some reason we really as a culture seem to like dogmatic, authoritative sounding answers even if they don't make a lot of sense. And so you can get away as a leader with not listening for a long time and just spouting off answers as long as you sound really confident. 
And even uh, sometimes, if someone is slow to speak, we might think they are being weak or compromising. And we have so many examples of that right now, even this week, right? Even this week, I don't want to bring it up and give my own authoritative kind of dogmatic answer, but even this week, it's like everybody's suddenly a complete expert on the legal system and racism and everything in the, in the country. And it's like these super strong opinions constantly coming from people that you know don't really actually know what they're talking about. And I think that may be a cultural reason this is harder for us to take the time to know because we think if someone takes the time to understand that they're actually being weak or compromising. Um, and then of course there's just a lot more uh, spiritual issues that keep us from working at listening. So we're impatient and listening requires patience even, both ways. I think maybe sometimes that's why we're satisfied with answers that aren't really answers because we're impatient. And so we want the person to be able to, we want there to be some sort of all-knowing person who can uh, just look at us and say, okay, your problem is without actually knowing us. We don't want to have to go through this whole process where they get to know who we are and understand us. And then on the other hand, we as the answer, you know, as people who are counseling or discipling, we're impatient. And getting to know someone uh, takes time. Then pride. We think we know more than we know. And uh, you know who are the hardest people to get to stop thinking they know more than they know are the people who think they know more than they know. <laughs> it's like you could say, I think you know more, I think you're thinking of yourself a lot smarter than you are, and that's just so hard for that, them to process. Of course, we are selfish as well, and, uh, and we like listening to ourselves a lot more than we like listening to someone else, usually. Um, it's also a little bit uncomfortable to listen to someone for a long time. Uh, it's, it's kind of like there's other things you would rather do. And uh, we like comfort a lot. So we're, and usually people with problems, there's a reason they have problems, right? <laughs> They're like confusing and, and they got stuff going on. And so you're kind of like, oh, I'd rather get to somebody less complicated. And sometimes we just don't have many examples of people who build relationships with others to learn from. And we could probably go on and on with reasons this is hard or rare. And so that's why we're taking some time to think through this actually. If this is the first step, build a relationship, patiently know someone. Uh, if this is the first step to good discipling, how do we do it? How do we do it well? How do we work at patiently knowing someone? And a couple weeks ago we talked about the importance of compassion. You remember this was a something that we emphasized. Another way to say it would be actually caring about the person that you're discipling. So for me, I always think that's a good first question when it comes to discipleship, T-cell. T-cells, like we're talking about, gospel care, building helpful relationships. A good first question is, do I actually care about this person? Like really care. And so when it comes to starting a discipleship relationship, that's what I'm constantly praying. Lord, please help me to actually love this person, not just with my uh, mouth, but with my heart. So do I care? That was our, we want, need to build a relationship. How do we do that? Actually caring would be one step. And then, uh, then the second step is how do I prove to them that I care? And uh, 
then last week we talked about one way you prove that to them, which is by listening. So love listens, which is a second step, really, to building a helpful relationship, which is what you read about a couple weeks ago, I know, listening. And then you had a whole class last week uh, talking about listening. So I realize you're probably feeling full on the importance of listening, and there's more to discipleship than just listening. But listening is so important, and it's so hard that if you'll be patient with me, I thought I could just put a little exclamation point on it today, listening, by talking about And this will be good not just for discipling people outside your family, but even being a good discipler in your family. But, uh, so I want to put an exclamation point on listening by, by talking about two things. One, why listening is so important, and two, how you can be a good listener. First, why? And I want to talk about why, even though, again, if I asked you to raise your hands, who thinks listening is important? Probably all of us would raise our hands. But I want to talk about why it's important, because it's hard. And we don't always like to do hard things. And so it's good for us to remember why it's so vital that we listen to others. And I just jotted down a couple of reasons real quickly. I'm sure you could come up with more. But I was thinking about different biblical commands and principles. So first of all, the command to love. If you don't listen, you're not really showing love to the other person. So ultimately, listening, it's really important to understand this. Listening is not a strategy. When I listen to you, it's not like, okay, this is a way to manipulate the conversation uh, so that they can feel like I care. (laughs) Or this is something I have to go through to get to the point where I'm actually the one who's allowed to talk. So if I sit here for like 15 minutes and pretend to listen to you, then you'll listen to me after I do it. So listening is not just a strategy. It's not a way of getting to the point where you can say what you want to say. It's a way of applying Philippians 2, verse 4 to real life. Philippians 2, Paul says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And uh, that is a hard command to obey if you're not listening. How do I look out for your interests if I'm not willing to listen to you? So... One reason listening is important is because it's a way of loving the other person. It's a way of me actually obeying Philippians 2, verse 4, getting to know what your interests are so I can look look out for them. Second, humility. If you're not willing to listen, you're acting like you're more important than the other person or that you don't need to listen to them. Obviously, proud people have a hard time listening because why would they listen when they can hear themselves talk or when they already know the answer? So one way to show humility is to listen. When you listen, you're saying, I'm not the most important person in the room. I don't have all the answers. If the other person's a Christian, God has given the spirit to this other person. There are things that I can learn from them, and there are things I need to know if I'm going to be able to be helpful to them. Thirdly, practically, communication. If you don't listen, it's going to be hard to hear what the other person's actually saying. Uh, which is kind of obvious, but communication is hard, right? In general, uh, even when you are listening, it's hard to communicate. (laughs) And uh, if I'm not listening to what someone's saying, it's going to be even harder to understand, and that's part of why we're sitting here communicating, right? The goal is not just for me to say what I want to say. The goal is for us to understand each other and for you to understand what I'm saying and for me to understand what you're saying. And if you read through Proverbs, I think that's why one of the characteristics of a fool is that he's just talking and he's not concerned about understanding. Um, Proverbs 15, verse 24. Uh, Or Proverbs 15, let's see, is it 15 or is it 14? 
1528, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The wicked man just opens his mouth and talks. Proverbs 18:15, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Or an intelligent heart acquires knowledge is another proverb, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. So a wise person is someone who actually wants to understand what the other person's saying. Fourth, listening is part of what makes knowledge acceptable. So Proverbs 15:2 says the tongue of the wise commends knowledge. And uh, that means, as I always like to say, it's possible to make knowledge hard to hear. If you can commend knowledge through the way you talk, you can also um, make knowledge difficult by the way you talk. And one easy way to make knowledge hard for someone else to hear is by not listening. If you don't listen to the other person, it's likely they won't listen to you. I often say to parents of teenagers, you know, if you spent 16 years of your life not listening to your child, don't be surprised that they don't listen to you when they're 16, 17, 18, because you've just taught them for 16 years how to not listen to someone you think is boring. And they're probably going to think you're boring, guess what, when they're 16, 17, 18. So you need to spend 16, 17 years teaching them how to listen to someone who's boring so they'll listen to you when, they're, when they think you're boring when they're 16 or 17 or 18. And you know from your own life it's really hard to listen to someone who's not willing to listen to you. Fifth, communicating in a way that really ministers to a person's need is another reason listening is so important. Um, to, uh, Proverbs 15, 23, I think it is, it says, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season how good it is. And so an apt answer is a fitting answer. It's like the right answer to the, the right question. Um, but if you don't listen, what happens is you end up saying things that don't relate to the issue the person is talking to you about. And so you're just sitting there thinking, whoo, that's so wise, that's so wise. I can't believe I'm saying all these wise things. And they're like, that's not even what I'm struggling with. <laughs> Proverbs 18, 13. Again, if one gives an answer before he hears, it's folly and shame. Um, so like I was saying earlier, we sometimes think someone who just talks loudly and dogmatically is the one who's really saying something wise. So as Americans, I think we like accents. If someone speaks with an English accent, we tend to think, wow, they're super wise. And if someone speaks really dogmatically, we tend to think they must really know what they're talking about. And sometimes that may be true, but a lot of times, no, he's just speaking loudly. And uh, yet he's not helpful because we think he knows what he's talking about because he's speaking so loudly about it when he doesn't because he hasn't really listened to understand. And so you should know with all this talk about listening, it's, I, I just can't say this enough because I think people who um, are not wired you know, to listen sometimes fail to understand this. When we talk about listening, it's not just for listening. One of the main reasons is for the purpose of actually speaking, helpfully. And uh, we're going to have a hard time. We know we're going to have a hard time saying what needs to be said if we haven't listened well. And of course, some of us are faster processors, and that's great, and others of us are going to need to take longer time, but all of us are going to need to listen. And I'll just run through a couple more because I'm almost at the end of my time and I haven't got to the second point. But if you don't listen, it's going to be difficult to know how to serve the other person. If you don't listen, you're not treating the other person the way you would want to be treated in their shoes. If you don't listen, you're not acting like Jesus because he does an awful lot of listening to you. 
And if you don't listen, you're treating the other person like a problem to be fixed rather than a person to be helped. So there's just a lot of biblical and practical reasons to listen. And I'm sure you could think of more. Now, the question is, the second question is, if listening is this important, how do we become good listeners? And obviously, with like two minutes left, I'm not going to say everything here. Um, but I am going to take the time to say a couple things. Um, ultimately, the, the stuff I'm not going to say is actually the most important stuff. So if you're going to become a good listener, you have to talk about what's going on in your heart. Because the most important stuff when it comes to listening is to be humble, to be curious, to be patient, to work on heart attitudes like that, and to pray for God's help. But I thought, let me try to be a little down to earth and give you some things to avoid and some simple things to pursue to listen well. So first of all, things to avoid. Here are some things that keep us from listening to others. And most of these are just from Proverbs, meditating on Proverbs. But one thing that keeps us from listening well is lack of self-control. So Proverbs talks about the fool as a babbler. And I like that image, babbling. Words just come out of their mouth. Proverbs 10:19. when words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is wise. And I love that uh, picture of, like, it's like a dog on a leash, your lips. You know, you got like a, a leash on your lips. You're restraining your, restraining your lips. It's self-control. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. So sometimes we have a hard time listening because we just talk too much. And we don't give the other person a chance to share. And so by the time the other person's done listening to us, they are too tired to say anything about themselves. Besides, we might be too interested in ourselves to listen to what's happening to them. And also, the reality is like a conversation's a little bit like a river. So if you start steering the conversation one way, you can lose where the conversation's actually uh, needing to go. So one reason we are bad at listening is we lack self-control and we talk too much. Another reason, though, that we uh, are another thing we need to avoid or we need to put off is talking too little because sometimes we think of listening as just being quiet but listening actually involves asking questions that helps the other person give information that will be helpful for instruction and change so one of the things you're trying to be as a listener is a good mirror so that you can help the other person see what's actually in their heart, because we all know it's hard to see what's in our heart. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And uh, sometimes we fail to listen well because we don't ask enough good questions to draw information out of the other person. And I definitely know this is a skill. I often joke about this, but like some of us just have never learned the art of asking questions. And, um, and that becomes obvious when there's somebody that's really interesting in a room. Like, say there's somebody that's really, like he's had a life experience that none of us have had. And he, he's like a fascinating, fascinating, all kinds of information there. And yet you'll see him sit down at a dinner table sometimes and people will be, have such a hard time even asking him the most obvious questions. Um, like maybe he was a Navy SEAL in like Iraq or something and everybody's like, well, how, was, how are the, how are the uh, Chargers doing? Um, yeah, work's going pretty good. You're like, man, this guy's right here. Like he's a treasure trove of fascinating information and we struggle sometimes to even know what to ask. 
And if we have a hard time asking questions of somebody like that, imagine just the ordinary rest of us uh, that we're spending time with. And so uh, sometimes we aren't good listeners because we talk too little. A third thing, of course, that makes us bad listeners is the fear of man. So sometimes when we're talking to others, we're too focused on what the other person thinks of us to think much about how we can serve them. So often when we talk to our kids when they were little about speech, we would say, your words don't belong to you. Your words belong to Jesus. And so you, through your mouth, what your words are, you're seeking to serve Jesus. That's what communication is. How can I serve Jesus with these words? But sometimes we're so focused on ourselves in the conversation, we're not, we don't have enough room in there to think about how can I use my speech to serve Jesus. And so uh, we don't pay much attention to the other person because we're mostly thinking, I wonder if they like me. Uh, fourth, lack of love. And that's the root issue a lot of the time. We, we're like, you know what? That other, this guy is so boring right now. Um, I just want to be anywhere else. But it's not about that. Uh, it's about loving them. And sometimes the truth is we like what we like. And when someone's talking about something that isn't something we like, we don't care enough about them to try to learn about what they like. So if something's boring to us, we think it's not worth listening to. And really what that is, is we love ourselves and our comfort more than we love other people. And so when they're not making our lives more interesting, we're mostly thinking about how to get out of the conversation and not how to, how to serve them. Another reason we fail to listen is busyness. So it's hard to listen when we're in a rush. And sometimes the reality is we are busy. And um, there's not much that we can do about that in that moment. Sometimes, though, the reality is we have wrong priorities, and we make getting things done a greater priority than loving others. And what we do is we use our busyness as an excuse for not taking the time to really hear someone out. Um, another thing that makes listening that we got to put off is assuming. So assuming makes us bad listeners. So let me give you an illustration of how assuming can make us bad listeners. Someone tells you uh, they get angry at their kids. So they come to you and they say, I get angry at my kids. And uh, you go to give counsel. So you're like, okay, Proverbs, what went wrong? Well, what went wrong is how do you know what they mean when they say they get angry at their kids? Uh, you don't know what they mean. One person could mean uh, like one time a month I sort of feel something in my heart a little flustered. Honestly. Another person could mean, and they feel really guilty about that, another person could mean, I am throwing dish plates at my kids um, like twice a day. And so the counsel you give to those two people is going to be really different. This is an area that I fail at a lot because I have my own experiences. And so when somebody says I get angry, I, I might think one thing and I don't ask the next question. And as a result, we don't give good help. Sometimes we read into things that people are saying without doing the hard work of figuring out what they really mean by what they're saying, and we assume that because we mean one thing when we say something, they must mean the exact same thing by it, when it could be that they don't mean what you mean at all. Um, a great question to ask with some of those things is, give me the video. Like when you say you get angry at your kids, show me what what that would look like on a daily basis. Um, someone says they're depressed. That could mean a million different things nowadays. 
Another thing we have to, that keeps us from being good listeners is we don't focus. So we allow our minds to run down a thousand different paths rather than focusing on the other person. Uh, another thing that keeps us from being good listeners um, is if we say something one way, then we assume other people should say it the same way we do. And if they don't, then they shouldn't expect us to listen. So for example, we think if we don't use that many details in our conversation, then other people shouldn't use that many details in their conversation. And if they use too many details in their conversation, they can't expect us to actually pay attention as they talk about all those details. Another thing that keeps us from being good listeners is we are so focused on what we're going to say next that we don't hear what they're saying. Another thing, we want to win the conversation. We want to show the other person how smart we are, how much we know, sometimes how much better we are than they are. Another thing that keeps us from being good listeners is defensiveness. So I think this would be not enjoying the doctrine of justification by faith alone. <laughs> and so that's not just theory, but what happens if you're not enjoying the doctrine of justification by faith alone is somebody can say something and all of a sudden you get all worked up and you're fighting a battle with them. And you're like, you're, you're, you're just trying to defend yourself in that conversation rather than really understand where they're coming from and what they're trying to say to you. Another thing, of course, that keeps us from listening well is we want to show what we know. So the conversation's more about, look at how smart I am. Or we use the conversation to try to build our identity. Yeah, obviously I'm, I'm going over here, but. Um, so those are some things we need to put off. I'm sure, again, you have more things that you need to put off, but you need to ask yourself, what keeps me from listening well? And what is at the heart of that? So one way I'm a bad listener, historically, is I am an interrupter. And so I have to think, what is at the heart of that? Why do I interrupt? And how do I deal with the heart while also uh, developing the habit of not interrupting so that I could listen well? So there's two things going on there. One is there's a heart that produces interruption. But two, that heart has produced interruption for so long it's become a habit. So I have to deal with both. Like I have to think, what is it that's causing me to think I should interrupt this other person? And then also I have to recognize, ah, one simple step to dealing with the heart is developing the self-discipline of keeping my mouth closed until they're done, because that can become a habit in conversation. So if we're going to listen well, we need to know what keeps us from listening well, and those are some things to avoid. Now second, some things we need to pursue. And um, maybe we'll have a better discussion uh, next week, because I, I do want to share some of these with you. Um, I want to talk about just actually one thing, the, the most basic thing I want to encourage you to pursue, and it's not going to be a surprise. Uh, if you're going to disciple well, you need to learn to ask good questions. If you're going to listen well, you need to learn to ask good questions. If you can learn to ask good questions, you are going to make an impact. This is like something you can do on the train. This is something you could do. It's not like it even needs to be like these seven-hour conversations. If you can just become the kind of person who ask good questions, in everyday relationships, you're going to find yourself making an impact on others. Um, and actually, evangelistically, this is such a great skill. I think sometimes we're so concerned about having the answer to people's questions, when really what we should be doing first is questioning their answers. <laughs> 
So we need to learn, because they have answers they're bringing to us, and so we need to learn to ask good questions that will expose how foolish some of their answers are so that they can have a desire to even look at God's word. But that's not just true evangelistically. That's also true in terms of discipleship. And I think sometimes we have all these discipleship opportunities in front of us, but we don't actually, um, we don't actually uh, benefit from them. We don't actually take advantage of them because we haven't, we're not asking questions. So questions are a way of helping you teach better. So they, first of all, they give you the information you need to be able to teach. But also, this is important, questions are a way of teaching. So sometimes, when you can maybe think of this in your own life, someone asks you the right question at the right time, and actually that question opens up all kinds of information to you and, and sort of changes the way that you're looking at things. So questions are a way of helping you teach better, but questions are actually a way of teaching. So especially because a lot of times when you're counseling someone, you're, you're counseling someone who likes to hear themselves um, more than they like to listen to you. That's one of, you know, one of all of our problems because we're selfish. So if you ask good questions, one of the things you can do is move the conversation forward and hopefully get them uh, to, to teach themselves a little bit. Um, so let me give you a couple examples of the kinds of questions that can help you gain insight into someone's life. And so I'll give you three sets of questions. The first set is general. So you're saying, I'm not, I don't know where to start when it comes to asking questions. I'm going to give you real specific examples. Um, and again, this shouldn't be like, whoa, I can't believe I never heard this before. But you sit down with someone and, and you find a way to ask questions like this. One, tell me a little bit about your relationship with God. What have you learned about God or the Christian life recently? What is one thing you're enjoying about the gospel? And then listen. A lot of times what people will give you then is not an answer to your question. And then they just told you something. One thing you have to, when people answer, they're telling you something, even if they're giving you the wrong answer. So a lot of times when you ask, what are you enjoying about the gospel recently... People won't talk about the gospel, or they won't talk about what they're enjoying. They'll talk about, I learned about the Hittites, or something like that. Some, or I, I read something. And then you have to ask the question again to try to get them to understand what you're, the information you're trying to draw out of them, which is, has there been something in the past couple weeks that has caused your heart to rejoice in Jesus? Another great question is, what is one way that you're changing? Now, of course, we're, you know, we're all normal, simple people. So if you ask somebody that and they have a hard time answering, part of being a good question asker is realizing that if somebody asked you that, you might have a hard time answering right away. So you want to be patient with people and, okay, let's think about And actually what you might need to do is help them think about their life a little more because we're not all going around filled with self-evaluative thoughts all the time. And so you're saying, okay, let's think about this last month. Um, conversations or uh, relationships? Is there anything that you see God doing in your life? Or start with a, a truth that they've learned at church. Say, okay, you can't think of any way you're changing. What is something that you've learned information-wise at church? Because usually that's easier for people, hopefully. What is something information-wise that you've learned at church? And if they say to you something like, 
I haven't learned anything about God in the past year. And you're like, wow, no, something's going wrong here because God is so awesome and the Bible's so deep, you have to be learning something at some point. So that, then you know, okay, even before we get to changing, they need to have stuff they're learning <laughs> to be able to change. But then you could, in terms of helping them evaluate themselves, you can start with, okay, what's, um, what's one thing you're learning? And then say, okay, why did that stand out to you? And then they might say something from their life. Well, I learned about God's sovereignty. That's not really how you're changing. If you say, I learned about God's sovereignty, you understand that, right? You just, you're telling me a fact. So then I'm saying, okay, you learned about God's sovereignty. Why did that stand out to you? And then they might be like, well, because at work it's going really bad. And then you say, okay, well, how is God's sovereignty, this fact of God's sovereignty, impacting the way that you think about work? And then they might be able to say, oh, no, it's not impacting. Or they might say, yeah, you know what? When I start to worry... I'm starting to remember that God is sovereign. And you're like, okay, praise God, you are. There is a little bit of change going on. There is something that's happening. And you can encourage them and give them hope because sometimes they don't see that in their life. But what you're trying to do as you're asking those questions also is teach and say, okay, don't just... So when we used to study the Bible, my dad always would say, you need to smack the Bible. And what he meant was you need to ask, what does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply? And how can I change? And a lot of times we stop. We don't do what does it say. Um, and so then we're, we're done because you need to know what it actually says. Then the next step is we don't actually ask what it means. If you get the meaning wrong, you're in trouble. But a lot of times, those of us who are in better churches, we stop there. What does it say? What does it mean? We need to go to the next step and ask, how does it apply? Like, how might someone's life be different as a result? But then, even in the better churches, we often stop there with SMA, you know, what does it say, what does it mean, what does it apply, but we need to go to SMAC and ask, how can I change, specifically? Like, okay, that's the application, but how this next week or the next two weeks will I specifically be different as a result of what I'm reading here? Anyway, that's the kind of question that you're, you're trying to ask people. How, how are you changing? Another question you might ask is, what do you find difficult about the Christian life right now? Um, Another question you might ask is, what is one area in your life that you're most concerned about? Uh, what is one book that has made an impact on your life, and how? Um, so, to be a good listener, I think one of the things is that you want to be, is, you're going to have to be, is really for the other person. And so you're trying to, you're trying to, to help them. You're trying to draw out information from them um, because you want to see them succeed. And so uh, often um, you're asking these questions in hope, really, that there is something going on in there. Another question you might ask is, tell me about some of your friends. What do you like about your friends? What, what, what are they like? What do you enjoy doing together? Uh, another question, what is your strength as a friend? What is your weakness? Describe the strengths of your relationship with your spouse. What would your spouse say are some of her concerns about your relationship? What do you think your children would say about your relationship with them? And there are like a million more questions to ask. But again, I'm trying to equip for, T for discipleship and for T-cells. So we're saying in T-cells, one of the first steps we're saying, what do we do? We need to build a relationship. 
That means we need to care about the other person and we need to listen. How do we listen? We ask good questions. These are some examples of good questions. And I, I, you probably have, I hope you have go-to questions yourself. Like, these are my, I think uh, Huey has shared some of his go-to questions with me that are super helpful. That's a good question you can ask of good disciplers. What is a go-to question that you have found uh, to be helpful when it comes to drawing out information of others? Now here's a second set of questions that is a little more problem focused and I'm not sure where I got these from, but they'll help you help someone who's struggling with a particular problem. So the first set of questions is kind of just general questions to ask. Second kind of questions are more like, okay, there's obviously something going on here. What do I ask? Here's uh, six questions to ask. First of all, you start with their circumstances. What is really going on in your life? So help me understand the heat, the kind of pressure or what you're experiencing. And, and, and in, the, in that situation, they may not be, uh, they may be totally wrong. Um, a lot of times people are wrong, but one good thing to know is when they're wrong, they're helping you because they're telling you something about how they see the world. And so that's gonna give you information that you're gonna have to deal with if they're gonna change. So what's really going on in your life? Tell me about your circumstances. A second question is, now you're trying to go a little further, how do you feel about what's happening? And so here you're trying to get them to share some of their emotions, and usually it's easier for people to share their emotions. Um, so they're kind of sharing, yeah, I just feel so worried. And you don't have to at that point just say, that's so wrong that you're worried. But they're, they're explaining, they're, they're giving you some of their um, emotions, and that will, that will help you as you go to get to the point where you want to talk to them about, about what God has to say. So a third question would be, what are you thinking about it all? So you went from circumstances to emotions to what's going on in their mind, because your emotions come from somewhere, and they really come from the way often that you're thinking about particular situations. Um, and sometimes it's just so habitual that it, it almost, you, you can't always identify the thought. Um, so I used to get terrible stomach aches before I would speak. And that's, if you would ask me at that moment, what are you thinking? I'd be like, oh, I'm not thinking anything. I just have this terrible stomach ache. But that, that's, that stomach ache was a habit almost that came from a pattern that I had built up for like 10 years of fear of man. Um, and so, anyway, you're asking, you're trying to get people to think, okay, what are you actually thinking about? And one trouble with most of us is we want to give the right answer. So just to recognize when we ask these questions, a lot of people aren't going to tell you the truth right away. Um, or they'll, they'll try to impress you by saying, no, no, I know God's sovereign. I know God's sovereign. Um, so it's not that I'm really not thinking God's sovereign. But the emotions actually are like a smoke alarm. They're really helpful because they're like, oh, huh, does that really make a lot of sense that if you really are just going around waking up in the morning rejoicing in God's sovereignty that you're this worried? And of course, there's lots of other data that you would need to figure out to get a real answer to that question, but at least that's a question in your mind. And then a fourth question would be, what are the people around you telling you about what's taking place? So we'll have to go to discussion next week. I'm sorry, Isaiah. Um, 
talk, can you believe somebody would talk about listening this long? It's like the opposite. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are, because so much of life comes down to who we listen to. That's been the problem ever since the, we, we, we all have authorities in our life. And um, there are some authorities that we just don't doubt. And uh, so we want to know, who are you listening to? And so what are people around you, your friends, telling you about what's happening in your life? What do you think about what they say? <laughs> a, fifth would be, a fifth question would be, what do you think God has to do and say about what's going on in your life? So here what you're trying to see is, do they actually understand what God says? Um, so you're saying, sometimes I'll say, if you were to counsel yourself, what counsel would you give? Um, but what you're trying to see is, do they actually, do they, because almost every, so many people think they know what God says, um, but you're, you're trying to figure out, do they actually know what the Bible teaches about this um, issue? Um, and, and, you know, of course, some of the hardest people to counsel are those who think they know what the Bible says without actually knowing what the Bible says. And then six, what does God actually say he is doing in the middle of what's going on in your life? So what does God, what, what, what kind of is some information the Bible gives about what's happening in your life? And now you're just trying to get a little more precise and say, where is God in this problem? What, what does the word of God say are some of the things you can absolutely count on that he is doing in the middle of this? And I'm sure all that is probably enough to take you pretty far in most of your discipleship relationships. But it's important because basically, in your T-cells, one thing you're wanting to do is gather information to help the other person see themselves, to understand what's going on in their heart, what's motivating them, how they're seeing the world, and to be able to offer good counsel. And so this is something you're going to want to constantly be working on in order to be a good friend. Because if you're going to help each other, you need to know each other, and not just the externals, but the heart. And to do that... I'm saying learn to ask good questions, identify where you fail to be a good listener, and then specifically put on question asking, general question asking, specific problem question asking, and then heart probing kinds of questions. And so Dave Pollison uh, is a, a biblical counselor, was a biblical counselor, and he talks about x-ray questions. And I'll have to send this link on in our next email, but he gives about 35 examples of x-ray questions. And I like that image because you're trying to, a diff, you know, most, I suppose, um, when you actually get an x-ray, there's no way to really hide what's going on in your heart. But what is difficult about discipleship and counseling is that many people are trying to hide what's going on in their heart. And that's one of their fundamental problems is that they're self-deceived or they're wanting you to be deceived. So you really have to be almost um, persistent in asking questions that will, you know, shine light on their heart and not um, allow them to do uh, what they are tempted to do, which is deceive themselves or deceive you. So he gives questions like, I won't read all of them, but just a couple of ones that I love. He'll, he'll ask, what do you love? What do you hate? Because, again, you're trying to get to functional beliefs. And um, so... There's stuff that we'll say at church that we believe, but what we love and hate 
often reveals what we actually believe. So like if I say I hate sin, but um, I just hate it, I hate it, it's terrible, but I uh, really delight in something that's obviously sinful, then it's like, ah, uh, what, what do you actually believe about sin? Uh, what, do you, what are you seeking for? What do you aim? What, do you, what, do you, what are you pursuing? What, what is it that you want most out of life? What do you fear? What, what makes you scared? If you look at your fears, a lot of times your fears reveal uh, what you believe. What do you not want? What do you tend to worry about? What keeps you up at night? What do you feel like doing? That's a great question. What do you feel like doing? That will tell you a lot about what you, you believe. What do you think you need? Uh, what are you trying to accomplish? On your deathbed, what would sum up your life as worthwhile? What gives your life meaning? What, what do you see as your rights? What do you feel entitled to? In what situations do you feel pressured or tense, confident or relaxed? When you're pressured, where do you turn? What do you think about? What are your escapes? What do you escape from? In the morning, what does your mind drift to instinctively? What do you think about most often? What do you talk about most often? And then this is, I, I gave you so many, I'll send the, the list, obviously. You won't have time to write all these down, but this one you might write down. How would you answer the question, if only blank, I would be happy? That's, a, that's a, just a great question because often that, what you fill in the blank with is your idol. So that is what you're looking to. If only blank, I'll feel safe. If only blank, I'll feel like I have an identity. If only blank, I'll be able to be thankful and grateful. Uh, a God is what you look to for security, for identity, uh, for salvation, really. And so if only blank is kind of, you're defining what saves you. <laughs> if only blank, I will be, then you're, you're seeing, okay, this is probably what I'm worshiping instead of God. And so obviously if real change is going to take place, uh, you're going to have to deal with that, deal with that idol. And there are a lot more. I'll send them on to you. But you can see what you're doing through listening is helping the other person see themselves, that's one, and then you're gathering information that will help you speak into their lives in a way that matches who they are and what they need to hear. Um, so uh, let's pray that God enables us to be uh, good friends by working on becoming better listeners. And uh, next week we'll, we'll be back to our normal routine where we have more time for discussion. But I was away last week, so I'm going to give myself a freebie here. <laughs> Thanks, guys.